Um, Luke 15 is where we'll be this morning. Luke 15, and I'm going to pray, and we get to start a new series today, which is uh, always fun. Lord, thank you for yet another day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for kindness and your goodness towards us, Lord. Thank you for the privilege for those of us who've given them the honor to be a, uh, a mother or a father or an aunt or an uncle and, and care for those that are younger. And Lord, we need your strength. We're here because we need to be re-energized to do the very things that you've called us to do. So help us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And I'll just add the whole Happy Father's Day to those of you who are dads. It is a high calling. It's a hard calling. Uh, those of you who haven't had the experience yet, you think it's one thing, and then you get into it and you realize it's 350 million times more difficult and more fulfilling, right? So it's, it's both. But part of the package of leading a young person, whether you're a parent or a guardian, is that you're going to be misunderstood. Isn't that just part of the package, right? You, you're, the, the, kid, the kids are young and sugar is everything, and you try to throw a vegetable in the mix, Right? And that makes you evil, doesn't it? If you're a parent, you know. If it's just if it's sugar and candy and fluff, they want it. But if it's like healthy and good and real and not in the package, somehow as a parent, you're going to be misunderstood because you're trying to do something good. But at the time, you know, that young person doesn't exactly get it. And you want to lower the dental bill, all right? You're just trying to be like good. And that's, you're going to be misunderstood. And then as you grow and as your kids grow, the, the, the challenges and the gaps of understanding, they grow, don't they, right? Because it starts with the easy stuff like, you have to go to bed at this time. Why? Because I said so. But and because you, you, they need sleep. But then it, it grows, and then it, it grows into, hey, I think you should stay away from this relationship. Because this relationship, whether it's a friendship or something more personal, you know, I think that person isn't going to be the best fit. And then that gap of misunderstanding. And it's just part of it. And I have to say, for the most, and I'm going to, for the most part, moms and dads have the good of their kids in mind. Wouldn't you agree? Like, for the most. For some of you, though, even on a day like today, I've got to, to remind ourselves, some of you, when you think mom or dad or just older person, it's been skewed by pain and heartache and evil and all sorts of things that weren't done, real neglect, or were done that were just wrong. And, and I am sorry for that. But at the same token, we have to balance it out with the reality is the heart of a mom and a dad, for the most part, I think about my own kids, I want them to go farther. I want them to experience more. I want them to do better. And that's why you endure periods of misunderstanding. It's just part of the package. All right, well, today, what does it have to do with the Bible and Luke 15? Today we're starting a new series called Love My neighbor. And it's a phrase that you've probably heard. It's in the culture. It actually comes from the Bible. Uh, Jesus said that the two greatest commands in all the Bible are to love God with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. But the problem, like parenting could be a cliche and misunderstood. Uh, what does it mean for us to love our neighbor? What does it mean for us to love other people? I'm going to suggest the same misunderstandings that we have when it comes to parenting, are the same misunderstandings we have when it comes to faith. When it comes to following Jesus, here's the funny thing. God is described in the Bible as well. God is our father and we are his children. That's how the Bible describes it. And if that's a bad or hurtful term because you had parents that weren't, weren't there or weren't good, I'm sorry, 
But the description is in the best case scenario that God is a real father and we're his kids. So I want to suggest this. Just like your kids can misunderstand your heart and your motives, in the same way it's possible to love God and misunderstand him. Not exactly get him. I'm going to go one step further. There could be things in your life and in my life that we think about God that aren't accurate. They're not right. We think them, we think we've got God figured out only to discover, just like if you're, uh, if you grew up in a, in a decent home and then you became a parent, you realize, wow, it was, I appreciated my parents now, now more than I did then because I realized how hard it was. I see them in a new lens. Could it be that there are new lenses as you grow in your faith that you're going to see and discover about God. And that is going to mean, and this is hard for some to think about, that's going to mean unlearning some things. Some concepts about God that are, they may be in your brain, they may be in your soul, your thinking, they just may not be accurate. And I hope in this series that we'll be open to that kind of thinking. So love my neighbor. Why, why is this important? When it comes to misunderstandings, when you see God, just like your parents, when you don't get what you want, you can think that your parent is unloving. And sometimes we reflect that on God. And, and maybe when there's periods of discipline, if you've ever had to discipline your kids, if God is in the midst of disciplining you through your situation, through your circumstance, it's not always obvious, you could end up thinking about God that he's unkind or he's even mean just like we can misunderstand our parents. And when it comes to the absence, sometimes our parents seem like they're not really involved and not really thinking because they're physically not there or they're maybe not day-to-day -day chatting as much. But I'm a parent and you realize you're a parent 24-7. You never turn it off. So there are times in life when God seems far away and absent. And I want to suggest sometimes we can interpret that to think that he's distant or he's not concerned. So the goal of this series, because you're like, well, my neighbor, oh, you're going to tell me to be nice to people. Great. No, the goal of this series is that we would get a better view of God. And when we get a better view of God, we live differently because we see God differently. So what does it mean for us to love our neighbors? And why does Jesus connect that with the greatest commandment to love God with everything? We'll get to that over the next few weeks. For today, I, I just want to think about one phrase, and Luke 15 is going to help us to see it lived out. So just write this one phrase down, just one thought, and I know that some of you are waiting for your Father's Day lunch. For, forgive me, it'll take a few minutes, but we'll get there, right? You can live in God's house and yet miss God's heart. Just write that down, because that's the big thought for today, is it's possible to misunderstand God. You can live in his house and miss his heart. You can live in your parents' house and not get them, not really get who they are. It's possible to have a roommate and not really know who they are. It's possible to live in a dorm and not really get the attitude and the mindset of the people that you're living around. In the same way, you can live in God's house. In other words, you can, you can come to church and you can read the Bible and you can listen to Christian music and you can try to live the Jesus life and at the same time actually miss his heart, his intention, his goal. And, and if you don't believe me, just look at Luke 15. Why don't we just turn there? 
Luke 15, and I'm going to read, I, I know this sounds crazy, I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's three parables that you know, they're super familiar, and I'm not going to unpack them all. I just want us to see, because in the end, if you don't believe that you can live in God's house and, and miss his heart, it's a cliffhanger that we often overlook because you just keep reading. Luke doesn't tell us something. Jesus doesn't tell us something. These are three of the most familiar parables. It's what they don't say that is supposed to grab you. So if you think you know these stories well, just, just hang in there, wait for the end. Okay, let's so Luke 15, 1. It says now the tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Luke gives the setup. The setup of the three parables and the cliffhanger that we, it's in what's not there, comes from this discussion that Jesus is having with a group of Pharisees. You just need to know, you read the Bible, and the Pharisees are often portrayed as the bad guys. It's actually not true. They're the good guys. In their day, they took the Bible seriously. With most people, their faith was just part of their life. For the Pharisees, their faith meant everything. They memorized the Bible with the goal to live it out. And so these were the good people, not the mean people, not the bad people. They just wanted to honor God, and they wanted to teach the people, you should honor God as well. They were in the Father's house. There was no one more dedicated than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. But Jesus confused them. This is going to sound crazy. It's possible to go to church your entire life and miss the heart of Jesus. It's totally possible. How do I know it? That is exactly where they find themselves. These are good, God-honoring, loving people, but they miss the most important thing. And so Jesus is confusing. Here's why. It's the people that are surrounding him. So the tax collectors were in cahoots with the Romans. So these were Jews that were actually helping the Roman government cheat the people, which is against the Bible. So they're seen as outside of God's love, outside of God's family. And then there's quote-unquote sinners, people who had a bad reputation. And here's one thing that's going to mess us up. When we think about the phrase, love our neighbor, love my neighbor, it starts with the word love. How do we understand love, not from the culture's perspective, from music's perspective, from video's perspective, from, from God's perspective? That's what I want to look at today. Jesus is going to show and tell what genuine, real love looks like. And it's going to mess us up. Because Jesus is embedded with the people that the Pharisees said don't belong in God's presence because the way that they live. Jesus, it says, welcomes them. You could translate the phrase, receives as friends. Jesus receives as friends and eats with people that you and I might want to avoid, might want to stay away from. He gets with the people that have a terrible reputation in town, and he's not just saying, hey, you, you need to repent. Actually, to eat with someone in their day, in their culture, is to receive them as a friend and accept them. Take them and protect them and care for them. And in one crazy sense, approve them. Say, okay, they're welcome with me. God sits with people that other people are rejecting. That's genuine love 
to Jesus. So the three parables are going to help the Pharisees, maybe help us, understand what real love is all about. What is God looking for really? Like what, is, what does God really want from me? What does God really want from you? Okay, let's look at the three parables and they're going to lead us towards the cliffhanger at the end. That is the, oh, I didn't see that coming. All right, verse three. Jesus told him this parable, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors and together and says, rejoice with me. I found the lost sheep. I tell you, so he tells a story about a sheep. I tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Now, this language is foreign to us because most of us aren't farmers and most of us aren't shepherds. But this, to the, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees who know the Bible. How is God described in the Hebrew Scriptures? One of the big metaphors for God is God is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, I will not be in want. God was seen when you used to describe, how do you describe God? As a shepherd. So, so the shepherd has 100, 99 are safe. The shepherd goes after the one. Now that seems, it's, this is totally cliche because you've heard it since you were a kid. You got to try to put your head with people who are trying to honor God. Pharisees are the good guys. Trying to honor God. And in their view, the rabbis believed that if anyone turned to God, God would accept them. So if you repented, if you turned to God, God would take you back. Jesus says, you've got part of it right, but you don't know the heart of my father. So in the story, the shepherd does not, in the story, does the sheep find his way back home? No. Uh, the, 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 the shepherd, and look at the graphic language. He goes after, finds, it doesn't say, come follow me, grabs the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, not as like punishment, as protection and care, and brings the lost one back in. And what Jesus wants to remind us, you want to know what real love looks like? Real love looks like God taking the initiative. Here was the twist that the rabbis didn't get and was brand new to them. Hopefully it's not brand new to you, but brand new to them. God takes the initiative in looking for people and bringing them back into his care. That might not seem like a big deal to you, but the Pharisees are in the Father's house. It's possible to live in the Father's house and not get his heart. They were sincere, but they were incomplete. And what this series, I hope, is gonna do is, is to grow us into loving people the way God does. And you know what love looks like? God takes the risk and leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one that is lost. Okay, that one seems easy. The second one is shorter and, and amplifies the same idea. So let's just look, verse eight. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses the one. Doesn't she light a lamp in their day the, the homes had no windows, small little mud huts with probably without a window, just a little doorway, right? So she lights the lamp because she can't see. She sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've, I found my lost coin. 
than the, the interpretation. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the coins are worth probably like a day's wage each. So this woman, humble woman, only has 10 days worth of money. Uh, picture you trying to make it on 30 days with 10 days worth of income, and you lose one coin. What do you do? You, you, you go searching for it. So she sees everyone is valuable, everyone is important, and so she, she's got the nine, but she goes searching, and then when she finds it, she rejoices. Notice who took the initiative. I want you to see this. What does love look like? Real love looks like, so she, she lights a lamp. She uses resources. She's lost a coin. She's using precious re resources, lights a lamp, and sweeps and looks, and she finds it and then calls everyone to rejoice with her. Here's what I want us to see. God takes the initiative when, when he says, love him with all your heart and soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's such a tagline cliche. We don't even think about what that means. Real love is risky. Real love is going to cost you something. Real love takes time and effort. And God the Father, who, who Jesus is showing, the heart of the Father, to the Pharisees who think they know God, real love is going to do whatever it takes. And then when the lost thing or the lost sheep is found, you call everyone. Now, remember the setting. He's in the middle of having a party. Jesus is eating and hanging out with people that the other religious people don't want anything to do with and are looking down on. And what Jesus is, is verbalizing is, is in line with what he's doing. No, these people that you're not concerned about are the reason I've come. And this is the heart of God. You know, sometimes you think you have people figured out, and, and, and all of us, when we think about what it means to, what does it mean to honor God with your life? All of you, myself included, are going to have an opinion about what that looks like. And whether we believe it or not, we size people up and we judge people simply by what we see. If you're coming into church, the way someone's dressed is going to reflect to you whether they're serious about God or not. The way they, they sing or don't sing, raise their hands or don't, um, the size of their Bible or lack thereof, the, the, the way someone talks when they're in the restaurant afterwards, the, the way the person lives in the neighborhood down the street, all of these little things, we're going to judge people by the only thing we have is the ability to see on the outside, right? That's, that's just the way life is. And here's what God does is he messes everything up all of our preconceived ideas. You and I have an idea of the kind of person that God wants to love and bless. And here's what Jesus does. He messes up all of our preconceived ideas and he says, these people, these tax collectors, these sinners, these nobodies, these are the people that I love and I've come for and I'm not ashamed to stand with them, even though you are. Now, that, may that, that might not seem radical to you, but in Jesus' day, this was absolutely Radical. Now he gives the third one, which, which gets the most like, um, you know, space. And so we'll, we'll, we'll look at that one. Verse 11 and to the end. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, 
The younger son got together all that he had, set for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Again, for, for many of us, this is super familiar. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. Again, side note, if you're new, that for the Pharisees to be holy and to live honoring to God meant avoiding pigs. Absolutely. You don't eat them. You don't touch them. If you do, you have to ceremonially clean yourself because they were seen as the epitome of everything against the presence of God. Okay, so it may not be a big deal to you. Ham, cheese, sandwich, no problem. But for, for them, th this, is, this is a big deal. So the fact that he's got a job with the pigs says he's, he's under God's punishment. He's like, he's far from God. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am, starving to death. Okay, I will sit out, go back to my father, say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion on him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, so the dad doesn't even listen to the kid. The father says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. So there, the story could end, right? So you have the, the sheep, and, and then you have the, the coin, and the son, and lost, valuable, father, leader goes out, the, the lady, in all scenarios, the leader goes out, finds it, it could be the end, but the, but the cliffhanger's coming, and it starts with verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he calls one of the servants and asks him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years, I I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes, evidently he knows the details, comes home, you killed the fattened calf. And my son, the father, said, you've always, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. What is a father like? Okay, the cliffhanger we haven't even gotten to because it's in what is not said. I'll get to that in a minute. Pharisees at this point are messed up they think God accepts those who mess up but come back, but they're learning from Jesus a more radical and deeper reality. No, that is true, of course, but God is actually going after. God goes after the sheep. God goes after the coin. God runs to the son. Love is not just accepting the person that just comes back on your terms. Love is actively pursuing 
The person that seems so far, there's no hope. That's genuine father-like love. Now, what's the father-like? Uh, three things that, would have, that we read because we're reading it 2,000 years later that would have stirred their thinking. The first is that the father let the son walk away. This may not seem crazy to you, but you got to remember Jesus is telling a story in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And in those days, kids don't divorce their parents like they do today, you know. Parents have all, uh, kids have all these rights. Kids have all this, like, status in society. And in their society, dad is the judge, jury, and everything in between. All authority belongs to the father. And so the father does what the father wants, and the son's job is to respect and obey, which seems crazy in 2018. But that's the setting of the story. The father here lets the son go away. And that might not seem crazy to you, verse 12, the younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share. Give me my share of the inheritance of the estate. By the way, he, the father's there living. So what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because I know I'm going to get what's mine. I don't want to wait. I wish you were dead because I want mine now. Time of, sign of total disrespect. At this point, what the father should do is slap this kid up put him in his place, show the servants and show the family you don't disrespect the father. That's what's expected. But Jesus tells the unexpected. The heart of the father is that he lets us go and he longs for us to be back with the right heart. So rather than keeping the son who's rebellious in the house, he lets him go. And can I just say, what is the Father's heart towards you and me when we walk away and when we rebel and when we ignore him and when we say, God, I wish you weren't even there. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if you are. The Father's heart towards you is love and the Father is, is going to let you go. The Son goes and lives the wild life and the Father lets him do it. Why does God let us get away with it for so long. If God is real and God is just, and he is, then why doesn't he just punish us straight away and knock us back into the family for whatever reason? I'm going to call it God's love, which is mysterious, and I don't totally understand. God in seasons will let you go off and do the thing that you want to do, not because he's unconcerned. Sometimes when a parent gives a little bit of leeway for a child to make some choices that they know are wrong, does that mean that the parent is unconcerned? Some of you right now, you're giving your kids a little bit of space and they're messing up the space and you're giving them a little more space and you're letting them do it. Is your heart cold and callous? No, you want your child to see what real love is like. You want your child to be in right relationship because they have a heart that wants to, not because mom and dad are lording it over. And God, for whatever crazy reason, gives us a leash and space. And he's not unconcerned and he's not unloving and he's not unmindful. He knows what you're doing and he knows what I'm doing and he doesn't find pleasure in it. He actually wants to bring us back. The crazy part of the story is that, the, is that the father lets the son go away. Another crazy part of the story is that the father runs to the son. Again, first century, we don't get this. If you're the head of a household, you don't, you don't run to anybody. 
It's actually culturally inappropriate for you to run. You have servants do that. It's like in some parts of the world with a king. King has the robe. King has the people. King has the, the right to give orders. A father doesn't run anywhere. They would get this. We don't get it. And so he says, if you want to know what God is like, he's not like our culture. And in our culture, in their day, the father's not going to get up and embarrass himself by running, by the way, running to the rebellious son, running to the embarrassment. They would cut him off, call him as if he were dead. Notice he said he was dead and he's alive. He had never physically died, but he was dead in their culture. That son is dead to you. It is over. He's outside. And the father, this is crazy, but the Pharisees need to hear it and we need to hear it. No matter what someone has done, no matter where they've been, no matter where they've gone, no matter what they're up to, the heart of the father is to bring us back. And when the son takes one step towards home and he's on, the, the father doesn't wait and say, okay, send my servants and then clean him up and then I'm going to bring him in and give him a lecture and bring in all the servants and all the family so this kid hears the heat and knows who's boss. That is not the heart of God. And now sometimes if we're not careful, we reflect that kind of mindset on God when it's not his heart. And sometimes we treat people that way. I can't believe what they did. I can, can, you, can you believe? And, and we can be like the older brother who's in the wrong when the heart of the father is to run to the son. And my friend, this is just a word to you. If you're in the spot where you're just, you're just off and you're just, you just know you're in your own version of wild living. It may not be spending it on prostitutes like this kid and blowing all your money, but rebellion has all sorts of forms and all sorts of expressions. If your heart is that way, then the trigger was when the son came to his senses and said, man, my father's house is better. When you come to your senses and you begin to move towards home, the father comes running to you, which, do you see God that way? Like some of us see God as this distant out there. And if I get it right, maybe, maybe I've got a shot. And that's not the God that we serve. Third thing that I think is like a mystery is that the father pleads with the son who stayed. And, and we, don't, we don't get this one. But again, in their, in their view, the father has all authority. So the, the, the older son complains, why are you throwing a party for the young boy who is rebellious? And notice what it says in verse 28, the older son became angry, refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. This isn't radical to us, but you gotta, if you want to know the heart of God, he takes in their culture what was important and says, no, you miss, you miss the heart of the father. The father leaves the party to deal with his other son. So the father is not only concerned with the one who's got obvious rebellion and obvious issues, but the older son has less obvious but more toxic issues. He's misunderstood the heart of God. You can live in the father's house yet miss the father's heart. Now, this is a word I think that's more to us. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours is dead, was dead and is alive again. So here's what I want us to see. 
is the heart of the Father is not just towards those with obvious issues. The heart of the Father is good towards all of us with all of our issues. And when there's something inside that, obviously the, the older brother is saying, like this son of yours, a, a couple of things that you can, you can tell in his life that you probably have wrestled with in your own life. Two, that I see in this brother, that I see in my own soul sometimes. Underline the phrase in verse 29. He answered the father, look, all these years, underline this phrase, I've been slaving for you. He was caught up in the game of performance. You see, he misunderstood the heart of God. He thinks that the Father is all about lists, and the Father is all about what you've done good, and the Father is about getting it right, and the Father is about, about, about performing. And some of you, you may have grown up in a very achievement-oriented household where mom or dad or whoever only like validated you when you got it right. And if that report card is perfect, then for today you're okay. But next semester, next term, and your life has all been about performance. And if you underperform, love was taken away. Never said it, but you felt it. You just need to know that is not the heart of God. The heart of God is not about your performance. As a matter of fact, our performance is always subpar compared to God. So, so the heart of our faith is not about performing. And the older brother thinks, younger brother is messed up. Therefore, he doesn't deserve presence of God, a party, celebration, and he's being honored. The younger son, the total mess up, is being honored in this story. And the, younger, the older brother is like, wait a minute. I'm the performer, and God needs to sometimes remind you and remind me. Listen, you may belong to Jesus, and you may be in his love, but there are so many more people he wants to bring in, and let's not catch the attitude that Jesus is only interested in us when he's really, remember, Jesus is sitting having lunch with the people that all the religious people are avoiding. He's like, you're in my father's house. You just don't have my father's heart. To love God and to love my neighbor is going to imply that we're going to need to grow in understanding the father's heart. So the father pleads with the son, you don't need to perform. The second thing you see in the son is, is the game of comparison. Notice what he says, this son of yours, this, this son of yours. He doesn't even call him his brother. This son of yours squandered your money with prostitutes. Why are, you, why are you doing anything for him? It's like, oh, gosh, comparing. Have you ever found yourself in that spot when it comes to the love of God in your own life? I think some of us see ourselves on the comparison side, not like the older brother who says, I'm better than, but we we're probably feel like we're, we're the underperformer and we're wondering, God, do, are you really going to do anything in my world? Because when you look at what I've done, and you just need to be reminded, God's love is not about performance, and it doesn't go on any scale. It's not like in education, you throw out the highest grade and the lowest grade, and that gives you the median score, and you skew things, you know? My son's in a class because it's AP, even though it gets one grade because it's AP, it's weighted higher. So if he, if he gets a B, he gets an A. It's like new math, you know? And 
And, and so you, did you get a B or get an A? Well, it depends on how you're, it's not weighted compared to everybody else. God's love towards you is deep and it's rich and it's bigger, it's greater, it's more profound than you will ever imagine. And he's not comparing you to anybody else. So you just need to hear this. You say, well, I'll never be like, and I'll never, and I haven't done. And, and Jesus would say to you, I think if you were speaking in our lingo, who cares about them? Now I do. You know, like, who, what does this have to do with them? I love you. I'm concerned about you. But I've done, but I, I, you don't understand. You're, you've been given the robe. You've been given the ring. You've been given the shoes. I've killed the fatted calf. I'm throwing a party for you. But, but, I, but, I, but I notice that the father never even brings up the past with the son. Yet the first thing I want to do is bring up the past when I see you doing something I don't like. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need to deal with the past. It doesn't need, mean that the past doesn't have ripple effects. It doesn't mean that the past, may, it may require in our terms some restitution, some I'm sorry, some steps towards repentance and forgiveness. But I'm just here to say that the father's first response is to hug the child and say, welcome home. And my friend, that is the love of God towards you. You can live in the Father's house and miss the Father's heart. Do we see people that way? Like when we think about what it means to be human in our world, in our city, in this time, with the people that you're going to see if you go out to lunch afterwards, with the people that you live in your, your little neighborhood, in your school, your work, in your sports, in your whatever, do we see every single one of those as people that God is getting off the throne, jumping in, and trying to pull into safety. Sweeping the house so that this valuable person is not lost. Looking and running out the door to find, do we see Jesus as actively pursuing them? And because Jesus is, I want to be with Jesus in pursuing them too. Do we, do we even see life that way? If we don't, you're not alone, Okay. What I want us to see is the heart of God. Now, here's a cliffhanger that we need to respond to. All three of these lead up towards the person, like the Pharisees, who already say they know God, but they're off. How does the older brother respond? This is where Luke and Jesus are just brilliant. How does the older brother respond? They don't tell us. Does the older brother realize, oh my gosh, the father says to him, you are with me, and everything I have is yours. You're in my presence, everything I have is yours. Why are you, why is your heart not like mine? Don't you realize I care not just about you, but I care about your brother too. How does the older brother respond when his heart is off? This series, Love My Neighbor, is not just going to be about being a better person, being a kinder person, being a nicer person. It's actually going to be more profound. It's going to be about dealing with the offness in my heart. And so this is where we need to start. If I'm going to love anyone, especially God, first I need to deal with my own heart. How does the older brother respond? Does he repent? We don't know. So God leaves the cliffhanger in the parable for you and for me. To think about the state of my own soul and my love of God and love of someone else. Two obvious takeaways, and we want to actually step into this. The first is if you're like the son or the daughter, uh, if you're like the one who went away and turned your back on God and his love, then the obvious response is 
in your own mind. Notice it starts in his head. My father's house is better. When you realize that life apart from God doesn't make sense, and the most natural thing you can do is to be in right relationship with your heavenly father and live under his care, if, if you recognize that, when you turn towards him, before you can even say, I'm sorry, because that's what happens in the parable, the father steps in mid-sentence and says, servants, let's start the party. Because the father knows your heart. And so the obvious response is to turn back towards him. The second response, I think, is equally important if you realize that something's gone off on the inside here. Maybe your attitude towards people, maybe your understanding of the nature and the heart of God to begin with, maybe you're caught in the cycle of performance and you just, you're just on this treadmill of trying to live up to what it means to be a Christian and you find yourself slipping and the joy is gone because like this is just hard. Maybe it's time you came back to the Father and said, like, I'm sorry for trying to pretend that I could be this perfect kid. Rather, I need your love to give me the fuel to live for you. And there's a huge difference. Or maybe you're just comparing yourself to everybody else and undervaluing yourself because you just need to hear again and again and again. The Father finds value in you because of the way he made you, not what you can do or not how great you are, or what you have to offer. You are loved because God made you this way, and God now wants to bring you to the fullness of all that he created you to be. And that has nothing to do with comparing yourself with everybody else. So you're not better, and you're not worse. You are made by God to know him. So just receive his love, and don't think he's out to get you or sees you as less or more than anybody else. I think that's where we can start. Then next week, come back, and we want to look at what actually Jesus said and what it means to call anybody a neighbor. What, what does that even mean? We're going to do that next week. Why don't we stand? And on this Father's Day, let's. I think as a dad, if I was out of sync with my kids, which fortunately right now I'm not, you know, but if I was out of sync with my kids right now, the greatest thing that I could experience is is getting that reconnected like that we're not just living in the same house as strangers but we're actually in love with one another and in conversation with one another and things are good and healthy and so let's take this as an opportunity to get things right with God wherever you are on the spectrum new to Jesus not yet following Jesus or long down the road if there's something in the heart that needs adjusted, let's bring it to him. Lord, we thank you that your love is real and it's deep and it's wide and it's more profound than we'll ever understand. But even now, as we get little glimpses of it from Luke 15, we're stirred to stop trying to please you so that somehow you'll love us. Lord, today we confess and we say what is true. We thank you that you love us just because you made us in your image. And so we want to live up to what it means to be a son or daughter, but we don't want to try to perform just to, just to get in. God, we're sorry. We're sorry for going down that road. Lord, we repent of trying to compare ourselves with everyone else. I'm better than, but not as good as we're trying. We're trying, Lord, and we recognize that that game is just a game. It doesn't, it doesn't lead us anywhere. 
So we come back to you, Lord, and we need to experience your love. Lord, as we worship you, as we sing songs that are true about you, experientially, God, help us to reconnect with your overwhelming love for us that's shown in Christ Jesus. We pray.